0: Uh, We are, we just launched last week's series, Walking Through First Corinthians Together. It is an incredibly messy church, but we get to see the power of God in it. That's what we're exploring. How does God show up amidst, amongst, amongst? Is that a word? Amongst, it is. I have a vast and expansive vocabulary, (laughs) and I use it for God's glory. (laughs) So... Grab your Bibles. Get a Bible, everybody. Everybody needs a Bible. You guys join us online. Grab a Bible as well. Make sure you have a Bible in your hands, and then I need you to stand with me. Um, We are going to read. uh, We don't always do this, but whenever we do a series where we're going through a book of the Bible, we want to read, get together, stand for the Holy Word of God, read the Scripture together. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. I'm going to start reading uh, in verse 10, we have a sizable uh, chunk of text, and then I'm going to pray for us and just ask for God to be here. First Corinthians 1, chapter 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. My brothers, what I mean is that each one of you says, "I follow I follow Paul," or "I follow Apollos," or "I follow Cephas," or "I follow Christ." Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one of you. Uh, that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else, spoken like a true preacher, can't remember. (laughs) For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God for it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Father, I pray that this text and this truth, this word from the Holy Spirit to the churches of Jesus would be alive today. Help us cast off every restraint that would keep us from your truth to anchor our hearts in your word and to have a spirit that cries out yes to you for whatever you have in our lives. That's what we're asking for this morning. In the mighty, powerful, matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, I began, uh, I started my, uh, if you will, career in vocational ministry, in college ministry. Uh, and so the first, the first job I had is I got to come on. I was ordained by my home church and got to come on and start leading college students and spent a lot of years doing college ministry. And because I get to do college ministry, what I found is that I was often elected to be the wedding pastor And so I have done a ton of weddings in my lifetime and I've loved to get to be a part of these because it is this amazing moment that you get to capture this like really juiced up bridegroom, right? He's like really excited, a little bit nervous, might throw up, but really excited. And then you have a radiant bride just beaming in every way. And it's the coolest thing to see, and I've gotten to be a part of these. In fact, it was just like a couple of, one one, one and a half October, one October ago. You're coming up on your second, second, second October, I guess. So just another October ago, we got to uh, do this for Lindsay and Lauren. And like, you know, Lindsay's like giddy. And uh, if you can imagine Lindsay being giddy. (laughs) Um, And then... Uh, but Lauren was just radiant and it was incredible. And I even think, even to my own wedding, I just get, I, I was kind of trying to play cool and, you know, be with the guys and all that. And then the, they fling the doors open and I saw Megan and I was just like, <laughs> I mean, just a, a total wreck, you know. This is what happens when you get to see these beautiful brides who have been made ready and prepared they prepared their lives they prepared their hearts they prepared their faces and hair and all the things but they've gotten themselves and made themselves ready and they're total they're saying this is I'm giving the full my full radiance to you this is the, this incredible picture that we get to have. And of course, we know, if you get to read through the scripture, we know that this is actually a picture of something so much bigger, which is Christ, a bridegroom that is making ready for himself a bride, a people, his his cherished people that he's bringing and calling to himself. And I want to just point to this glorious moment where we get to to see at the end of the story uh, what Jesus has to say or what the Spirit has to say about this bride that's made ready because it's really powerful picture uh, describing it in Revelation chapter 19 Says, this is John, uh, the Apostle John. He's writing this and he's getting this supernatural download from the Holy Spirit. And here's what he says Then I heard what seemed to be like a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. All of human history... Is culminating with a people who have been made literally perfect and ready. To be received as an inheritance for the King of the Universe, Son of God. This is where we're headed, and you get this picture expounded on in Revelation chapter twenty-one because it starts expanding out from the people. Verse uh, chapter twenty-one, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned. For I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Now, here's what's being painted a picture of everything we hope for in this life. This is the picture that's being painted. This is where we're headed. And I just want to even pause for a minute, just for anyone who's willing to listen and say, listen, This is our destiny. If you're the people of God, if you come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, this is where you're headed. It's a guarantee anchored forever. This is the promise that right now, whatever you're going through, whatever you're walking through, whatever challenges you might be facing, they are literally leading you leading me, leading us to this glorious moment where we see Jesus face to face, having been made ready. That's where we're headed. This triumphant moment where you and I find ourselves in the presence of God, arm in arm with the King of the universe, and we are ruling and reigning with him forever. That's where we're headed. That's where this story ends. What are we reigning over? I don't even know that we can imagine what that means. I don't even know that we can get our minds around it, but if we'll pause for a moment and see what the prophetic promise of God is, then it begins to give us brand new insight into what the meaning of this moment and this life is right here and now. It gives purpose behind even the challenges and the hardships and the hard things that we face. And as we've often, again, as we've seen over even this last few weeks and months, just the the pain that we often see across the earth, you often just go, what's going on? And we have to remember there's an end that's coming. And I love what he says in both of these texts here in Revelation. He says. Just two times, on two two separate occasions, he says, "Write this down." He says, "Write it down." Why does he say, "Write it down"? I think he says, "Write it down" because Jesus wants us to stand on the forefront of our hearts that this truth, this reality of what God is doing and where He's leading us, He's wanting to say this: Do not forget who you are and where I'm leading you. Don't forget this: You're kings and queens. It's who you are, and it's hard to imagine this, but we'll get to see it all throughout the scripture. I love what he says in Ephesians 2, that right now, here's who you are. You are co-heirs with Christ, and that you have been seated with God, with Christ in heavenly places. Now, what that sounds like, if you're not careful, is like, a cool pie in the sky, like sky fairy picture. But what he's actually trying to say is, no, that's who you are now. That when you've come into, when you come into relationship with Jesus, you get covered in the robes of righteousness. And this is who you are. You're now seated with Christ in heavenly places. And you've been made, you're being made ready for him Uh, in in a moment where we get to see him face-to-face. That is the prophetic promise. But here's the beautiful part. That's not just a promise for us as individuals. Guess, Listen, that's a promise for us as a people altogether. This is where the Lord is leading the church. It's not just what you will be. It's what we will be together. That the end of the age... When we see Jesus face to face, we're going to be a people who are beautifully unified in faith, fashioned together and made ready. And that's so critical because we stand in this dangerous moment where it's really easy to forget our destination. And we can find ourselves clamoring and fighting and arguing in all manners of all kinds of different issues. Angry, spewing venom over all kinds of social and political and philosophical realms of influence, forgetting where we're we're actually headed, what this life is actually about, that we're ultimately living for another day. And that's what Paul is addressing here to this church in Corinth, that he receives news from this faithful family And this family wants him to know that the church has got all this infighting going on. They're fighting with each other like like brothers and sisters fighting over who gets shotgun, right? Y'all ever had that? Y'all have that in your house? Fighting over shotgun? It's a war. Who gets shotgun, right? And it feels, uh, what I think Paul wants to actually look at is that it feels a little that their arguing feels empty, and he wants to help point to the power of what he is doing, what God is doing in the church, and who they really are. He wants them to be fully anchored in the truth of what God has said about them to keep them from missing the point of why we're here in this life. If you go back to the text in verse 11, it says, for it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's this quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas, which is Peter, or I follow Christ. And he says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No. And what we're gonna see and the crux of what we'll see here in chapter one. And I'm gonna point out just a couple of things in chapter three. Here's what he's gonna say. Church, enough with the infantile quarreling and infighting. Don't you know who you are? That you're kings and queens. He's gonna call them up to a, a, a different way of seeing them. Because he's seeing this disunity within the church and he realizes exactly what the source is. And the answer is pride. And this is what he wants to point to. Because he knows this, that pride is the poison pill of the church. You know why pride is the poison pill of the church? Because pride is the poison pill for everyone. And I just have to be honest, we're living in a moment which feels like pride is running rampant. Certainly outside of the church, but I think pride has tried to take root even within the scope of the church. And I just think Jesus wants to, by his spirit, just wave the flag and say, this is not the road to go down. This is not where I'm leading you. This is not where I wanna take you. There's a wisdom That's foolishness to men, but will bring life to you if you'll hear me. But don't swallow this bitter poison pill called pride. In this instance, we know it's pride because he goes, listen, you've got these differing factions that have created this schism within the church. And basically what happened is, is you had many that were brought to faith by the ministry of Paul and, hit, and hit the demonstration of signs and wonders. But then you had many other who were convinced in their heart by uh, uh, the ministry of Apollos. And who, who is Apollos? If you actually go back to Acts chapter 18, verse, uh, verse 24, it says, now there's a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria who came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. So basically what we see is Paul is a church planner. Doing signs and wonders. Apollos is the much better communicator and preacher. And you had guys that had been drawn into the kingdom through these guys' different ministries. Apollos appeals to the intellectuals and he's engaging to listen to. And uh, uh, that's Apollos. And then Paul is the one who's doing signs and wonders. And if you go back to first century leaders, you'll see that both Greek philosophers and Jewish rabbis of the day, they often would encourage emotional attachment to themselves as a necessary part of developing morality and intellectuality. And so they had had this kind of culture in which uh, you had to kind of get up under the teacher and then everything about them was you had to line yourself up with. And that you couldn't be a faithful follower. You couldn't be a faithful member unless you did that. And so they, they had this culture of doing this all the time. And, and the people were just conditioned in their minds to say, my way is the right way. I figured out how this whole thing is supposed to go. The way that I see things is the right way to see things. And if you're going to have any kind of life, you got to do it the way that I see it. And there was this broken mentality. It says, verse 22, for Jews demanded the sign, signs, and Greeks were seeking wisdom. And Paul says, but we preach Christ crucified. And that becomes a stumbling block, really, no matter what kind of... He basically says to the Jews and to the Gentiles, basically he says to both kinds of people. But it says, but listen, if you're you're willing to listen to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. This is what this comes down to. What he's saying is that there's something that we have to know about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's this, that there's a process that begins in us to become less and less and less about being right, and to be more and more and more about being reconciled. The minute that you and I say yes to Jesus, you need to understand something, that there is a call, a deep call, a personal and meaningful call to each one of us to become less and less and less about our ideas and our awesome thoughts and our cool philosophies and more and more and more about seeing people reconciled to God. First, us being reconciled and then in our homes being reconciled. And from there, spreading out in this church, being reconciled. This is actually what's most important across the earth. It's the most critical thing about you your whole life wrapped up in being reconciled and being a reconciler. And it's so much more important to having the right answer. You wanna know why? Because Paul's looking at all the wisdom of the world and he's looking at it and he's saying, it's foolishness. And we preach what seems like foolishness to the world And it's the secret wisdom that changes the ages. That's what we carry. I want you to hear this. If you are in Christ or a follower of Jesus, you carry the secret wisdom that the world is desperate for. He actually says it this way in in verse 26, for consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. I think probably most of us can go, yeah, like I I get that, I feel that. But God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what's low and despised in the world, even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And why did he do that? Hear this so that no human being will ever boast in the presence of God. Verse 30, and because of him, you who are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, hear this, and sanctification and redemption. I want you to hear, if you want to know, what are the themes, what are the things that are important to God. You do to know what does he truly and deeply care about in you? And where is he trying to move you in your life? Hear this wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's who Christ is and it's what we're called to. So that it's, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. And I love the, the practicality that, Paul brings. He, he continues in chapter three. In fact, chapter three, he starts to unpack how we get to a place of unity. But he says, I, when I came to you, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter three, but I brothers could not address you as spiritual people, verse one, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, verse two. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? I love what he says here. Verse four. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What does he mean by that? He says, are you not being merely human? What he means by that is this. You have a totally different identity. You not only, hear this, you not only have been made in the image of God, not only have you been made in the image of God, but listen, you're one who hosts God's presence. You host his presence. Verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Here's what he's saying. If you're a follower of Jesus, Christians are not in the business of tearing people down. We're in the business of calling people up. That's it. This is what we're about. We carry this secret wisdom. God used just normal people like me, like us, to call us to trust in a secret wisdom that is only granted from the Holy Spirit. And he said, with this thing, here's what you're gonna do. You aren't meant to tear people down. And that's what's happening in the church. You're meant to build each other up, build people up, call out the things that they cannot see, yeah, church, I can't tell you how important it is. And I, in fact, I think probably in the spring, we're gonna unpack some of the, 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 the offices of the leadership within the church because we all function in them. How critically important it is to be able to see people the way that God sees them and to be able to call out the things that don't even exist yet in them. This is what we were meant for. You can have somebody, you could be completely in disagreement. In fact, right now I can guarantee you, you've got a whole bunch of people you can think about. You're like on the other side, they're on the other side of the fence on all the issues, on all the things, doesn't matter what it is. Like, you you know, it could be masks or vaccinations or like fescue versus St. Augustine or whatever it is. You're like on the opposite side of the fence on all the things. Inevitably, you have these people. Let, Let me tell you, right now, when you carry and host the presence of God, what it it says is when you become the temple of God, then the new mission is you see people in a whole new light. And your aim is not to be right over them. Your aim is to call up what God sees in them. How much better of a life is that? I got to be honest with you. How much better of a life does God grant to those to rather than to be one of the great smart debaters of the age, but we get to be the people who see prophetically into the lives of all the people around us and call out what God sees in them call them up into new life. We do it with our children. We do it with our spouses. We do it with our coworkers. We do it with our neighbors. All In in all manner, in all arenas of life, this is what we're meant to be. We care, we speak, we pray, we fast, we listen, we teach, we bless. We don't blast and we don't despair. Why? Because God has got this. And so do you. So do I. God's got this because God has it. We have it. Verse 18 in chapter three, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become, that he may become wise for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it's written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. And I love this. Hear this for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. There's something that shifts when you and I come into the family of God. And here's what Paul's trying to say: says, You guys are arguing, I'm I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. You don't get it. You don't have just Paul or Apollos, you have the universe. All things are yours. It's like he's saying this, you're like a guy who owns a city and you're trying to get excited about the fact that you rent a a condo over here. And it makes no sense. You own the city, you have it all. There's no point in staying down here in the low area. He's saying, come up and see who you are. You've been given the whole thing. You're going to rule and reign with Christ. It'd be like someone saying, you have A massive inheritance coming and waiting for you. If you'll just look and stand in it and believe, it's coming to you and and standing on the sidelines, out of the game, broken. Playing in mud pies, in fact, that's one of the the great quotes from um, C.S. Lewis. He says, and I'm just paraphrasing, But he says, listen, God's granted to us all the things across the earth. He's granted to us himself. It says, but we play around like little kids in a mud puddle, floundering around. It says, when you've been offered a vacation at the sea, it says, come up. Don't stay in the mud puddle. Come up. There's more to life for each one of us. That's what he's calling us into. That's where he's calling us forward is to believe what the Lord says about us and who we are so that we can come at all of the things and all of the ways and all the issues from a completely and utterly different angle. Listen, there's one thing I think we could all agree about and that is... It very, it's very seldom we're going to agree on everything. The one thing I think we can agree about is that we're often not agree on all the things. There's going to be lots of opinions on a myriad of things. Things that you're going to agree with other people on and things that you will deeply disagree with other people about. Even in our Connect class that we'll do here um, at the end of this morning, we take, take an opportunity to say, hey, here are the things that are, we're anchored in. And all of those things just revolve around what it means to be, to find salvation in Christ alone. But then we even recognize there's some things that we carry as a church that we call open-handed issues. You know why we call them open-handed? Because they've been things that people have been disagreeing about for thousands of years in the church. You can try to hold on to those things or any a number of things that are going on in the world around us and say, well, this is the right way. And I'm telling you, church, the most important thing is not to say, I know what's right and you need to go my way, but rather, than, but rather we say, let's find God and Christ together. That's the point of doing that. That what the Spirit is saying here about how we disagree is to see our wisdom as foolishness in the light of God who has saved us from certain destruction, so let's give our hearts to him. That's what's trustworthy. This is what's trustworthy. I want you to hear this. If you want to know the most trustworthy saying, it's one of the things that we've said in our home, and we continue to try to say it on a regular basis. Humility is our way forward. Humility is the way forward for all of us. That that's what the Spirit wanted to say to the church through Paul. And what Paul actually points to is that, listen, there's no p- apostle, no pastor, no author, no podcaster, no politician that was crucified for you. Not one. And I thank God for all of the guys out there trying to lead well. I th- I'm, I'm thankful for pastors and apostles and authors and podcasters and even some politicians. But none of them were crucified for us. Jesus alone was. And if that's the case, then we've got to make sure that we are deep down emotionally and spiritually his first. Before your political leaning, Jesus. Before your social issue, Jesus. Before your justice perspective, Jesus. He has to come to the forefront. And if the church, hear this, If the church will carry this, if we'll come from a wisdom that's not ours, we'll become light to the world. That's desperate to be reconciled. Don't you know it? Don't you know that the church, that that, that the world wants to have some measure of peace and to not have all the chaos? They just don't know how to get there. We do. We have the answer. Let him who boasts boast, and Lord, you guys stand with me. Father, we just want to come before you, realizing and recognizing, first and foremost, you're the king. You see everything in a way that we could never see at all. And God, our hearts are just, um, are just if we're being honest, there's so much going on in the world around us that it's so easy to get... Um, Gripped with the real intense and significant pain that is being seen and experienced around the world. And these are all issues, God, you care about deeply. And you have a way and wisdom to grant to the world. And I'm praying and asking right now, for everyone who's willing to ask, would you grant to us a spirit of unity in the bond of peace? And would you grant to us wisdom that comes from heaven to be ones who call others up to be reconciled, who speak life and truth and who see the gold that you have put in people and call it to the surface. And even just right where you're at, Could you just if you would would you do, do do this would you just put at the forefront of your mind somebody you deeply disagree with Could be a friend Could be a politician Could be a situation could be an issue And would you just wherever you find a place of disagreement would you just come to the Lord and say Lord, would you move in wisdom and power? Would you bless? Would you bring your truth and life? Father, would you allow them to see you high and lifted up? We call those that are far from you into life with you. We call those that are near to you into deeper places with you. Lord, we don't stand and pretend to know all of the things any longer, but what we do want to do is to trust you, to put our heart and our hope in you and to see what you see. We know that within your church, we're meant to be unified and not divided. God, would you unify your church? Would you just even ask now? God, unify your church. Bless. Call. Call. Father, would you become our hope, our living hope, the one we put our hope in, the one we put our lives in, the one we put our eyes on? We're asking for this. I'm just going to finish this morning in worship, just declaring the goodness of Jesus, trusting Him to be our wisdom, granting it to us. Let's worship.